We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have like a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. We're overviewing Rotoviz tiers, talking veteran quarterbacks we don't like, and most exciting players for 2018 on this week's episode of Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. Matt Friedman is not joining us tonight as he is in Las Vegas covering the Gambling Olympics, which is actually a very valid excuse. So we have a Rotoviz writer who, if you've been reading the site, has put out a lot of awesome work already this summer. And that man is John Lipinski. Thanks for coming on, John. Hey, no problem, Dave. Uh, not not as cool as being out in Vegas, uh, you know, throwing hundred dollar bills around like I've been seeing on those gambling Olympics. But uh, you know, yeah, a lot of interesting content coming out of those. So I'm looking forward to when I can break those <laughs> down uh, down with Matt uh, before we record our next pod. But hey, where can people find you on uh, Twitter? Uh, my handle is at ff underscore ski ball, not like the actual game, but ski ball. Uh, like my last name ends with ski, good Polish last name, and then ball. Okay. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. I appreciate the, uh, the background on that. So we are going to be talking about tears in this episode. Um, anybody that has listened to this show at this point knows that I am a big proponent of using tears as your main data point that you're going to when you're drafting. 
There's a lot of reasons for this that we've covered, uh, but tiers are what the draft dashboard was built around. And the tiers that we are doing, um, John, myself, and a couple other guys at Rotoviz, those are pulling into some of the tools. And we're going to use those also to put out some content as we make our way through the summer. Uh, so what we're going to do on this episode is we're going to compare uh, where we tiered maybe the top 20 or so players at each position. But before we get into that, I do have a couple of questions uh, for my man Jay Laps here, as we call him at the Viz. So if you're ready, I'm going to fire off a couple of questions. Shoot, go for it. Okay. What was the biggest mistake you made in 2017 that you're hoping to avoid this season? You know, I, I think I'm actually already avoiding it. And that is that I didn't do too many drafts, either mocks or uh, early best balls throughout the off season, kind of until the season got a little bit closer. And um, I've really been hitting the best ball kind of hard so far, um, doing a couple mocks here and there. And I think that just like anything, you know, fantasy football uh, requires practice, you know, drafting that when you're actually you, you can you can put together ranks and projections and kind of look at guys and say, this is where I take them. But until you're actually sitting there in a draft, um, you know, particularly like the ones with the money on the line and you've got to make a decision yeah. between players and say, hey, who do I really like here more? And, you know, especially when you're doing multiple drafts and you're saying, OK, I drafted this guy before. Do I like him enough to, to keep taking him and getting heavy exposure to him? versus you know just taking them once or twice here and you know maybe i don't feel so great about them it, it really kind of helps you crystallize your thoughts and you know every now and then you know might might have picks where you say okay i'm i'm gonna make this pick really fast but there's other picks where you say you know let me let me sit down and do a little more research on this guy and make sure i'm comfortable with it so it kind of kind of forces you into those decisions so i, I think practicing um, by doing a lot of drafts and getting, you know, my head into it, you know, before I get to maybe some of my more important drafts as the season gets closer, uh, I think it's going to be a big help this year versus what I did last year. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something that people need to consider because I've noticed the more mocks that I do and naturally with building a uh, mock draft tool, I spend a lot of time looking at how players fall and how teams can get uh, constructed and considering when runs on positions might happen. But if you go into a draft and you're able to kind of anticipate not only uh, when these runs or when certain pl players might go off the board, uh, not only that, but if you're also able to anticipate how you will react, uh, you're going to be a step ahead of the game. You're going to find yourself not panicking when a guy that you were targeting goes off of the board, or if you went into the draft thinking that you might go running back heavy and with the way the draft flows, you can pivot if you've practiced doing that pivot. So I think that that's a really good point. And then as you kind of mentioned, there's a level of, if you're in a lot of leagues, exposure that you want to have a player, like in a player, you don't want to be overexposed. And if you start doing mocks and you realize that you're always taking the same group of players, uh, you can be cognizant of that. And when you're actually drafting, you can say to yourself, all right, how many times have I already taken this guy? Do we need to move on? And actually, uh, so in the Scott Fishbowl, I had the first pick, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Scott Fish, awesome, awesome guy, um, manages or commissions, I guess, this 720 sometimes, I think it might be even more than that. Uh, yeah, I think it's up to 900. Like nine, it's something crazy. But anyways, he puts together this league 
analysts, fans, and uh, if you play in it, he just asks that you make a donation to Fantasy Cares, uh, a charity that aims to give um, donations to Toys for Tots, and they go and they get all kinds of um, toys in different parts of the country before Christmas. So there's always unique scoring formats. This year, it's a super flex league. Uh, positions are more or less equally weighted. I had the first pick. I had been thinking I was going to go David Johnson and actually you questioned, uh, you made me question that move a little bit. And then I realized too that on my two dynasty teams that I care the most about, I have David Johnson already. I'm not sure how many leagues I'm going to be able to play in this year. And I wanted to, uh, take the opportunity to draft Bell because I'm not normally going to have that. So that just kind of speaks to that, that point of being, uh, cognizant of when you're putting your teams together that you're not overexposing yourself to a player if you do play in multiple leagues. Now, I suppose if you're really into a guy and you really trust yourself, perhaps you can go ahead and do that. But for me, I prefer to not go over maybe like 70% with a, with a particular player. Right. And especially, especially in the early picks up there. Um, you know, that, that if you bust on, you know, if you had a ton of David Johnson last year, it did not work out too well. And look, I, I'm, I'm like the uh, conductor of the David Johnson, you know, uh, uh, fan train here. Yep. You know, I love David Johnson, but I am concerned about the new coaching staff there that, you know, Bruce Arians, you know, he, he was like, Hey, I want to give this guy 30 touches a game. We're going to throw the ball a billion times to him. Um, you know, we're, we're just going to just keep getting the ball out there. He, he, you know, say what you want about him, but he had a, very high octane type of offense. And I don't know what that new offense is in Arizona is going to look like. So, I mean, obviously I think he's still like a top five pick here, but right. as number one overall for me, it was between bell and Gurley. I ended up going with Gurley. I think he's a, just a touch safer. Um, but you know, I, I easily could have gone bell. It was, it was like 50, 50 was pretty much a coin flip for me. Yeah. I mean, really with those top four or five guys this year, even if you want to throw Barkley into the mix, I do feel like, it's kind of a crapshoot as to who really will come out on top. And it depends on a whole lot of variables that even if you know everything about these guys, it's really hard to pinpoint which one of those will come into play, which is again, why I am a proponent of tiers so that you're not focusing too much on the name of the player, but really what he represents. But we can get into that more later. So regardless of ADP considerations, who's the player that you're most excited about for 2018? I'd have to say um, Ronald Jones, and it's not necessarily because I think he's going to be the best rookie or anything like that. Yep. Um, it's because I own a lot of them. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> that, fair. I, I liked him. I liked him coming out. I thought he was being a little bit undervalued um, among these rookies. That you know, when he got drafted, the Buccaneers I said, "Hey, this is great." You know, who's his competition? You got Charles Sims, who they didn't you know re-sign until you know he was sitting on the free agent market for six weeks. You got Peyton Barber, obviously. Um, who, you know, he was, I think he was, uh, undrafted or seventh round. I don't remember exactly, but he, he was super late. He was okay last year. Yep. I mean, he was fine. You know, he wasn't bad. Um, but he, he wasn't like a revelation either. Right. Um, you know, and you've got Jaquiz Rogers who, uh, you know, he couldn't even barely get touches last year, despite the fact that, you know, pretty much everybody in their backfield stunk. So, I mean, th- there's a lot of concerns there too. You know, um, the offensive lines isn't necessarily great. Um, there's, you know, questions about the offense as a whole, uh, and, but people seem to be hating on Jones as a player saying, oh, he's too small. You know, he's not going to be a bell cow back, back there. Uh, he didn't catch that many passes in college, which 
you know, he, he didn't necessarily, but we've seen plenty of backs at this point who necessarily weren't necessarily catching a ton of passes come to the NFL and, and be fine with it. Right. It's not like he was, he was terrible with it in college either. But I mean, the one thing for me is that, um, uh, Jones's college dominator. And that's, uh, that's something Blair Andrews came up with to really capture a running backs, uh, not just his rushing market share in the backfield in college, but also his yep. receiving. Um, Ronald Jones led not the entire class, but among the top picks, you know, among the guys that you're drafted in the first few rounds, of your, your dynasty draft. I mean, uh, there's a couple guys above him, Philip Lindsay, Ralph Webb, and Ito Smith, you know, Lindsay and Smith are guys that you're, you're taking late maybe, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't see too many Ralph Webb shares out there. So uh, <laughs> among the legit backs, the big, the big backs that, that everybody's drafting, Ronald Jones led the class in that, um, you know, so I mean, he, he was he was being used as a workhorse. He was being used that way from a, a young age too, from from coming in as an eighteen year old, and he's the youngest back in this entire class coming out. And um, you know, we know from looking at the research here at Rotoviz, uh, again, Blair Andrews has been doing uh, he he did a great series showing the effect of draft age on performance, right. and um, it's extremely important, you know, uh, to have. Uh, that young age that that running backs who have their age 21 season or, or age 21 in their rookie season have like a 50 percent shot to have a top 24 season and you know that drops down to you know a little above 25 percent um once you get to age 22 so i mean ha- having a back like him that, there's multiple young backs in this class but you know between his age is dominant backfield dominator in uh in college and um, he, he might also be the fastest back in this class. We, we just don't know because, you know, he was injured at the combine and still not 100 percent his pro day. Um, I just think people might be sleeping on him a little bit. And, you know, I've, I've picked him up a lot in Dynasty, picking him up a bit in best ball. And, uh, you, you know, uh, I'd like to see him grab a hold of that backfield. So I think he could be an exciting player. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're going to run into with the view on him from analysts and myself included, um, as we head into the season is trying to make the adjustment for where he landed in the draft. I spent a lot of times, I spent a lot of time looking at running backs, uh, before the draft. And I didn't like Jones as much as some of the other options, but it is a very talented class. And there's a number of players such as Jones that did project as guys that if they found themselves inserted into an offense that could operate with, you know, some type of modest, um, not efficiency, but I guess could just be competent at least. Uh, and Jones is one of those guys that I think fills that and he finds himself in a situation where he's going to be able to have the opportunity. So like many, I probably need to get myself a little bit more behind Jones and forget about some of the things I was worrying about before the draft because the Bucks, it looks like, believe that Jones has the ability to do what they're going to ask him to do. And I think that there should be an opportunity there. Having said that, I personally am a little bit more excited about guys like uh, Darius Geis, but, you know, I can understand why you like Jones. My player is Doug Baldwin. Uh, I'm going to talk about him real quickly here. Well, before, you just made a noise. I don't know if that was a positive no, or a negative. That's a positive. No, I, I mean, there's targets up for grabs there. I, I think Doug's in for a big year. Yeah, absolutely. So to put things in perspective, 
on a overall position rank basis. In 2015, he was 9, 2016, 6, 2017, 16. A major reason for this is he didn't miss any time, but still on a points per game basis was underneath uh, 20 in all three of those seasons. And a key thing here is that was on 96, 121, and 111 targets. Most receivers with that target share aren't cracking into that high of a finish. And a big reason for this is because he's finished with very high points per target totals, but not at the level in the last two seasons of what I'm calling the danger zone, which is where a player enters it. And there's going to be a lot of regression in the coming season. So even if he can maintain average efficiency on a points per target basis, you got to remember that Paul Richardson is gone. Jimmy Graham is gone. In addition to those targets being vacated and the team not really bringing in anybody to replace that, uh, assuming that Brandon Marshall at this point is more or less a ghost, which I expect. The other key thing is the red zone targets that are also going to be vacated. If we look at Jimmy Graham last season, he had 26 red zone targets, 10 red zone touchdowns. So with Baldwin, even if he takes up half of those targets and adds an extra three touchdowns, um, and I'm just talking about the red zone targets there, there's a lot of potential. I think that he has a really good uh, floor and then also a lot of upside this season. So he's the player that I am the most excited about. I think that they're going to have to rely on him and he has shown in the past that he can definitely fill that role uh, for the Seahawks. So any thoughts that you want to add on Baldwin before we move on? Yeah, it's funny you talk about the red zone targets because I actually um, have a spreadsheet up right now that I've been looking at yep. um, the red zone and the inside 10 targets um, that they're they're listed over on a pro football reference that uh, Jimmy Graham had uh, 35% of the Seahawks red zone targets. He had 39% uh, from inside the 10. So he had 16 targets there. Um, so he, he had a, a super high number. And then the next highest was five. I mean, Doug wow. Baldwin only had five inside the 10 last year. Uh, so there's there's plenty of room for red zone targets for Baldwin because who else are they going to throw to? I mean, they're, they're not giving 16 targets to Ed Dixon and Nick Vanek. You right. Know? Um, yeah, Brandon Marshall, assuming he even makes a team and is any good, you know, he, he's not soaking up those targets. So, I mean, yeah, I, I just don't see where else they'd be going, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I know that he's a 5'10", 189, but I still think he has a skill set that I have seen him in the past do some nifty things down in the red zone, even like from shorter than 10. So, you know, it really comes down to, why are they not going to go to him? So I see big things for Baldwin there. Moving along, is there a veteran quarterback that you're most worried will fall off? Or I guess I'll open that up to any other players that perhaps are being viewed as, you know, pretty safe bets this year that you're not sold on. Um. Well, uh, he's he's not, he is a veteran. He's been around the league for a few years, yep. but he, he really doesn't have much to fall off from. And it's Jimmy Garoppolo that, um, He's a guy that's going, in my opinion, too high for what he's proven. That, uh, yeah, sure, he's looked good. You know, when he played a little bit with the Patriots, he looked good at the start of last year. But, but he threw what six touchdowns total in his career so far. And I mean, I remember early in the off season, I saw people drafting him. We had Cam Newton, um, right? That that's that's corrected since it looks like. But I feel like the hype train could be getting a little, you know, out in front of things there. Um, I, I sent out a tweet earlier this month that was something along the lines of, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo looked like Paul Giamatti, you know, would would we still be drafting him as like the QB ten <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yep. 
I think part of it's you know he's got this this pretty boy image and he is a handsome man. There's no doubt he, about it. He looks better than me. You yeah, know, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna uh, slight him there. But I mean, he looks the part, and he's been good. You know, I'm I'm not denying that. And there's definitely a, he's with a great coach, you know, great offensive coach that that should be good. But you look at his wide receivers. I mean, Pierre Garcon's been good, but he's getting kind of older. Um, you know, coming off that neck injury, Marquise Goodwin has actually been underrated and better than people think, but he's still, you know, I, I don't think we know enough to say, Hey, he's a stud yet. Um, and beyond that, you've got Dante Pettis. They just drafted and a collection of kind of nobodies, you know, there, right. there's guys like Ke- Kendrick Bourne that I own in some deep dynasty leagues and things like that, but there's not a whole lot there. Um, go- going back a bit to Baldwin though, with the San Francisco situation as well. Yep. Uh, I, the one wild car still is Des. You know that uh, Seattle signed Brandon Marshall, but you never know. There's always that that little little chance of Dez ending up somewhere. You, you know he's going to sign somewhere, and wherever he signs, it's going to disrupt the value of whoever's there. Um, I'm not saying I think he's necessarily going to Seattle or San Francisco, but there, there's always that little bit of doubt of like, hey, if he lands with those teams, you know, you take a guy like Pierre Garcon, um, and say, okay, th- this guy, you know, he might not be great, but he's going to get a ton of targets. And then you throw Des in there, and then it's like, uh, well, you know, maybe not. Maybe maybe he's going to soak some of them up. Um, but yeah, Garoppolo is a guy that I think is maybe being a bit overdrafted, a bit, n- not hugely, but there's there's other guys uh, who are going after him and significantly after him that that he's going like a full round ahead of him that I'd rather take a position player in his round and then wait another round for the quarterback if I miss on top guys like like Newton and yep. uh, and Breeze and such. So. I'll just share a couple of things on Garoppolo as I'm looking at the Stat Explorer that jump out to me here. Mm-hmm. And it, we do not have week 17 included, but when I go back and I just look at these game logs, based upon everything I'm hearing people say about Garoppolo, they're not as stellar as I, as I would have thought. So you have week 12 against Seattle, just five points. Okay. That was his first start against the Bears in week 13, 11, Houston, 15 in week 14 against Tennessee, 19 week 15, 22 against Jacksonville in week 16, which is impressive. And yes, he is building up. However, I don't know. That doesn't really signal to me that this is such a lock, you know, it, because it is such a short sample. It's really hard to say where in terms of variance he's actually going to end up. And if those games are representative and yes, everybody else has made this point, but you do have to realize that, uh, there really is not, I would say there's really two games that could sell you on him being a uh, passer that could live up to where he's being drafted. Another alarming thing is when he was targeting passes between 11 to 20 on the left side of the field, he only completed 33%. That is a very low mm. percentage at that distance. And then when you start looking at shots down the field, he only completed 25%. Short or small sample there. And yes, you know, you're not going to see very high percentages there. But my ultimate point is if you're looking for this guy over this, this season to sustain production with a wide receiver cast that is a little iffy, might be hard for him to get that production if he can't start being more accurate and completing a higher percentage further down the field. Yeah. And, and I think in, in Dynasty, it's fine to speculate and say, hey, th- this guy could be the next big thing. Um, I will say he, he did face some tough defenses yep. in his final weeks where he was playing. Um, so the seven touchdowns to five interceptions doesn't look that hot, but, but maybe it's a little bit better. 
Um, so I understand where people are coming from. He's exciting. He's young. I just don't think he's worth taking over, um, taking as being taken as early as as he's being taken in some leagues. That that he's fine, but he's not worth bumping up into that tier, that like second tier of guys where you have like uh, Drew Brees and Cam Newton. You know that that they're hanging out there and Garoppolo's being drafted up in that area. I, I kind of feel like he should be somewhere in that middle tier where where it kind of flattens out with. You know, some of these veteran guys like Philip Rivers, who always seems to, you know, get drafted a little later and then, you know, puts up, you know, back end top 12 QB1 finish, you know? Yeah, I think that that all makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be a difference between what you're doing with him in redraft versus what you're doing in dynasty. And I want to remind listeners that you can get a 30% listeners only discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content. And you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to future episodes to hear if you're the winner. And if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. And this is my final call. Please, if you have enjoyed this podcast, Call in to 978-925-7628 and leave us a voicemail with your bold predictions. I'm hoping that either next week or the one after we can do that episode. I think it will be a fun one, uh, but I want to make sure that we have a good volume to go through. So please, 978-925-7628, leave us a voicemail with your bold prediction. And more importantly, we will draw on a random basis one voicemail that's sent in as a winner for a three or for a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. So do not miss out on that 978-925-7628. Okay. Let's take a look at our player tiers, which again are pulling into a number of the tools that we have at Rotoviz. So that's why Guys like John and myself, Sean Siegel, Hassan Rahim, Court Smith, Neil Dudden, and uh, Blair Andrews, and I think I've covered everybody that's participating in this process, have spent a lot of time putting these together. Um, I really think that tiers are important. We've talked about that a lot, so I won't belabor the point. But just a reminder, what we're doing here is trying to bucket players that represent a similar range of outcomes, and that when you look at these players, you consider their talent, their situation, and any other factors that you can think of in the given year, you're grouping these players so that they're in buckets where they all represent a similar value, a similar range of outcomes, meaning that if you're putting your team together, every player in a tier at a particular position should be more or less analogous. There might be guys that you prefer, but at the end of the day, you can't say with a high level of certainty who is going to have a better season, or excuse me, a better season. You expect similar things from them. John, do you think that is a fair explanation that will make sense for people out there? For sure. I, I think that tiers are something I've always used personally, that it makes it so that, especially if you're doing a fast draft and, um, you really want to look at guys and say, "Hey, like, what? Who am I comfortable taking here? If if these guys drop, that you need to be able to really kind of bucket them in your mind and 
look at them with a the range of outcomes. You know, when you have a list of guys and say, okay, this guy above this guy, this guy above this guy, um, that's not always the best way to do it because there's guys that that have different pur- serve different purposes for your team depending on your team construction. That you say, hey, this guy's a little riskier, um, but he has higher upside. So you might not say, okay, I have him projected for a few points over this other player. Um, you might say, hey, he, he's got a similar range of outcomes, um, but, but you know maybe a little more upside. So you have those two guys in the same tier. You might, in one draft, take one of those guys, another draft, take another of those guys. So I think it's important to uh, to group them together that way. Yeah, that that's a really good point about um, you know how you can use these from draft to draft, and they give you a good context. Uh, to be able to really easily see the cutoff points and where that separation is coming, uh, in a particular position as the draft is moving along. So if we look at quarterback, no surprise here. We each have as our tier one quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. I don't think that, uh, those are particularly surprising. In tier two, we both included Deshaun Watson. Did you have any reservations about including him in there with this short sample that we saw last season? Second year quarterback returning off of injury? So I have him in the second tier, but I'm, uh, I might have drafted him once this year in like a, a yep. play draft best ball league that he's generally going way too early for me. The the thing that uh, I like about him is he's got that rushing upside. Um, and again, you know, the one spot I did draft him in play draft, the, the rushing is a little more important because it's 25 yards uh, for every point passing instead of 20 yards, which is what you get in a lot of different leagues. Yep. So the, the rushing plays a bit of a bigger role. Um so I have him in my second tier because I, I do believe he has a ton of upside there. And if he, he fell far enough, I'd grab him. But where he's going right now, where he's going at the top of tier two, basically, or around where uh, not too far after Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, like right there, uh, I'm pretty much never ending up with him. But I, I couldn't quite drop him to tier three because I, I think there is that kind of upside there where even if his touchdowns re- regress, uh, which they will, the, the passing TDs were just insane in his small right. sample last year. There's still room for them to regress and for him to be a very good quarterback. Yeah, I definitely agree with that last statement, which is really the main reason that I left him in tier two. So we have Drew Brees, Cam Newton, Kirk Cousins. We both slated him in at tier two where we see a difference. I actually have Carson Wentz in tier two, you put him into tier three. Was that mainly because you have concerns, A, about him recovering from the injury, and then maybe B, that he is going to miss some games? And then are there any other considerations that uh, gave, that give you pause with him? It sounds like he's going to be ready to go. I think uh, earlier in the offseason, was a little less certain. Right now, it sounds more likely. But, you know, it was a late injury in the season. It was not like he injured it at the beginning of the season. Um, every recovery is a little bit different. So I think there is a little bit of risk there. And I think that, um, he's, you know, he's another guy that I think he led the league in TD rate last year. You know, I, Watson did over his small sample, right. but over the full season, I think Wentz did, um, that, uh, I think that's going to regress that, uh, he, he again has a little bit of Russian juice there, um, that, you know, he picks up some rushing points that, that will keep him afloat. But at the same time, I expect that that TD rate is going to come down a bit. And, I, you know, obviously, you know, the injury didn't go right uh, for the Eagles, you know, him getting injured. Well, maybe it did because they ended up winning the Super Bowl regardless. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like a lot of things went right for the Eagles last year, that, that things just kind of fell into place um, and everything just worked out. 
Yeah. You know, yep. uh, I'm just not sure he's that level of talent yet where I'm saying I'm going to put him up with these tier two guys where I'm really comfortable putting him there that I just, you know, Watson, if he fell to the bottom of tier two, you know, down around where, where some of these other guys are getting drafted, I would take him. Wentz, I probably would not. I hear you. And I think that you made a lot of valid points there. The reason that I slated him into tier two, there were two main reasons. Uh, one being when I run his season through my historical projection model, it projects very, very significant regression, but it still ends up with him having such a strong range of outcomes and such a high ceiling that I can also see how he would get there. Listen, he threw 13 passes to every touchdown last season. That's going to come down a lot, right? He had 33 touchdown passes on 13 games. But as you said, he has some rushing juice to offset that. I think for a tier two quarterback, he doesn't need to be quite as efficient as he did last season. He could even come down, right? He was at 22 points per game last season. I think he could come down to somewhere closer to 18. He can very realistically be there and still slot in to a tier two quarterback with uh, other guys in that range of outcomes, right? Like to me, when I look at a guy like Kirk Cousins, I think he's landing in a new situation. Um, there could be some concerns about him assimilating into that offense, getting up and going. Uh, so for me, you know, they're players that though they have different ways of getting there, have a similar range of outcomes. I don't really think though that he's a player that I would certainly take the time and the effort to try to really deter you from putting him in tier three. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of right on the edge. And, you know, it's that's one of the things that's a little bit tough with the tiers of yep. when you have those guys that are, that are right on the border and you have to make that call. Um, for me, I think what pushed him down a little bit, too, was his ADP, that I felt he was a little too expensive for where he was going in tier two. So uh, I, I dropped him down a bit as in like, hey, I, I'm probably not drafting this guy. Um, yep. Whereas Watson... You know, he's kind of – Watson's probably at the bottom of my tier two, and then Wentz is at the top of my tier three is kind of how I feel about him. But Watson's a lot more expensive, and he's rarely dropping down there, whereas right. Wentz, you know. Right. And, and this is such an important thing to bring up because this is one of the things that we've always tried to do at Rotoviz, which is present you with opposing viewpoints. We always have certain takes – or like certain philosophies that have kind of carried through the site. But one of the things that we like to do is present you both sides of an argument. And I think that the neat thing about doing the tiers this year is you're going to be able to see not only where particular writers have guys ranked, but you get a sense of what we're calling the RV composite, which is you take the tier that each ranker or tier or whatever you want to call them, put a player into and you sum those. So a guy like Antonio Brown, who everybody has in tier one is going to get a seven, but maybe a wide receiver that there's not as much agreement on like Tyreek Hill, who some people might have in tier two, others might have him in tier three, could get something like a 15. And then you can use that to see where there might be major separations between players. But then you can also look at the high and the low to get a sense of that range of outcomes. So, you know, I think there's a lot of value in going through exercises like this. You get to hear one side of the argument on one player, another side of the argument of, uh, you know, why that player might not live up to the high range of outcomes. You take this and you make your own decisions, which is something that we've always preached at Rotoviz. Uh, so let's continue here. Jimmy Garoppolo, we each have tier three. Philip Rivers, tier three. Matt Ryan, tier three. Stafford, tier three. No surprises there. I actually slated in Patrick Mahomes into tier three. You have him 
in tier four. Again, this looks like a player that you're a little bit more uh, pessimistic on, which I can understand. For you, is it really just the fact that there's no track record yet? Are there any changes in the offense uh, that you think concern you? I mean, they do bring in Sammy Watkins. I think that you can make the case that the offense has actually improved. Or do you think that some of this is a function of Alex Smith was just so good? I just threw a bunch (laughs) at you there. It's 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 funny to uh it's funny to say like uh, here in 2018 you know because Alex Smith was so good that that everybody's excited <laughs> about him. but but he was he was really good oh, last year. Oh, he's incredible. Year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I think for me, yeah, it's we really haven't seen much. I mean, I think it does speak to his talent that they were willing to part with Alex Smith and give him a start. You know, Kansas City's not a rebuilding team. I mean, their defense looks kind of shaky, but uh, you know, they're a playoff team. Um. So this isn't a team that's saying, "Hey, um, you know, we'll we'll bring in the kid and you know give him some years to learn." They think they can win with him this year. So, so I, I do have to look at you know the fact that the coaching staff there they've seen enough from him that they're impressed with him. But I mean, he, he has yet to throw an NFL touchdown. Right. I mean, uh, he he obviously has a big arm, but I mean, he his TD to int ratio right now is is infinite in that he has zero touchdowns and one interception <laughs> on, on on the one game he played so i mean yeah he looked good i saw him you know i watched you know parts of that game he looked exciting yeah. and everything but um i'm not ready yet to be drafting him where he's being drafted I, I'd, I'd much rather take a lot of these more boring veterans again like a guy like philip rivers who's sitting there in tier three of you know i'd rather have him on my team than roll the dice with Mahomes. now again there's some formats where maybe Mahomes would make sense um and again dynasty is a whole different ball game but in a redraft format I'll, I'll take the safer uh bet of a guy like Rivers over Mahomes here so the thing that I actually didn't mention when you were talking about the biggest mistakes that you made in 2017 I think the biggest mistake that I made last year was I got away from something that I had been drilling into my head going into drafts for maybe two or three years before last, which was you reach points in the draft where it doesn't make sense to go with the conservative choice. You really need upside. You're playing to win your league. You don't care about having an above average record. You just want to win. Uh, and that is why guys like Frank Gore kill your fantasy team. You say to yourself, all right, this is some production I can fall back on. But the reality is you can find production like that on the waiver wire. What you need is the guys that are going to far outplay your expectations. Now, I think with a guy like Mahomes, that opportunity is there. So he's one of those players that might have a wider range of outcomes than other guys in this tier, but I do think the ceiling is significant enough that it moves him into that grouping. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention is, so Mahomes, we all know that he can go down the field, right? But he's a young passer. Maybe he gets in. They don't want him taking shots downfield. Interestingly enough, Tyreek Hill saw 70 targets last year from distances shorter than 10 yards. He's an explosive player, also saw 24 down the field, was efficient in both regards, very good in terms of yards after the catch, ranked 11 in Yak last season. So my point there is you can use Tyreek Hill in ways that will help get this young quarterback going in addition to having the running game. Then you look at a guy like Sammy Watkins. Historically, he's been very good in the middle of the field. He can also stretch the field. So I think that the way this offense functions with Travis Kelsey there as well, it's going to give him a lot of options. Schematically, I think they'll be able to work around him. So I understand the concerns, but for me, that is kind of why I put him into tier three. It's a function of the upside and the fact that I think he's in a situation that can support him in his first season 
Sure, and I think we can look at um, if you go down two players on this list here. We both have Luck in Tier Three, but then you have Mariota in Tier Four, whereas I have him Tier Three. Right. Um, and I, I'm that that's that's my upside guy here. That I feel like, you know, with Mahomes, yes, he's got the weapons, but this is going to be his first full year playing in the NFL, and yes, he had time to get acclimated with practices and getting used to uh the speed of the league to a degree, but it's going to be his first full year where. We have seen QBs coming in their first year really dominate, um, but we've also seen them, uh, you know, even, even the most talented guys come in and, and struggle a little bit. Whereas Mariota, you know, he, he had a bad year last year, but his first two years were phenomenal. I mean, his uh, his points per game in his first two years, he was a QB one, you know, that yep. uh, he, he got injured uh, and missed some time. But as far as points per game goes, he killed it. And he did that despite the fact that his offense was very slow paced. So he was not attempting a lot of passes. He he had a decent amount of rushing, but not a ton of rushing. And now he's moving to a guy, uh, the the new offensive coordinator there in Lafleur, who's coming over from the Rams. That the Rams had the number one uh, situation neutral pace in the league last year, as far as uh, you know. You look at their first halves when when the game wasn't decided yet, and then then in the second half they slowed way down because most of the time they had huge leads. So Lafleur is going to come in there and and. Part of that offense, you know, you can say was McVay. You know, Sean McVay obviously was was calling those plays in and things like that. But I would not expect Lafleur to come in and run a slower offense than the exotic Smash Mouth that Mike Malarkey was running. <laughs> yep. So uh, I think that Mariota will have more volume than he's ever had. You know, more pass attempts, more rushing attempts, and uh, his efficiency should rebound. That they they ran a lot of two re- wide receiver sets last year. Um, I think you're going to see a more creative offense coming around is receiving weapons. You know, Rashard Matthews is nice. Corey Davis. We still don't know what he is yet. Delaney Walker's still been going strong. I, I think it's a good enough cast and obviously a good running game, solid offensive line. I think that they could be in for, for a big year, the Titans. So, uh, you know, I think we kind of flip flop there. Whereas you like Mahomes, yep. I say, yes, he's exciting, but I view him more as like, you know, maybe his second full year in the league, I'd look for the breakout. Whereas Mariota, he's had three years in the league, and now he's finally, they're taking the chains off. You know, the training wheels of, you know, exotic smash mouth are coming off, and you're going to get, you know, put him in the Ferrari now and let him go. So that's the guy (laughs) that I have in tier three there, but I've been drafting him. Uh, You know, he he often falls, you know to the bottom of this tier, the middle of this tier, as far as where people are drafting him, they'll, they'll draft him behind Jared Goff sometimes. And I have no problem snatching him up uh, before Goff. Very, very solid points. All fair. I think for me, it comes down to at this point with what we've seen of him, I think he's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's proven that he can take that jump into, um, well, you know, actually, as we talk about this, I think it's unfair of me to say that he can't take ju- a jump into a tier three territory. The reason, though, that I ultimately put him into tier four, there's a couple of reasons. His historical projection factors in significant um progression in the coming season, yet he still projects with a very low floor, 212 points on the season, median of 230. Uh and the ceiling isn't that great either. And one reason that I can understand why the ceiling isn't that high is he rushed for five touchdowns 
last season. I understand he's a great rusher, but I think it's hard to anticipate him rushing for five touchdowns. I think with the mix of Lewis and Henry, uh, there's not going to be the goal line opportunity that there, opportunity that there may have been in the past. I also don't see him and this offense as one that is going to produce a lot of touchdowns through the air. Last season, only 12 touchdowns. That's not going to happen again, but I don't see him getting beyond, uh, or the 26 that he threw in 2016. So you have, uh, a very limited upside to me, which I think is opposite of what some people are viewing him as. So because of the lack of ceiling, in my opinion, that's kind of why I had to back him off and put him in tier four. So it's interesting to see the, um, the differences that we had and how we interpreted players there. So let's, let's hit one more player before we move on from quarterback. I will read off where we have the rest of the guys though. So I had Jared Goff in tier three. You have him in tier four. I have Jameis Winston in tier three. You have him in tier four. I will be well, moving Winston just, to four. Yep. Yeah. I just, I just moved Winston down to four. I had him in three previously. Uh, I moved him to four after, uh, the suspension news. Yep. Okay, we both have uh, Roethlisberger in tier three. I have Prescott in four. You have him in three. Uh, nobody else that's majorly important there. What I do want to get your thoughts on is Alex Smith. I have him in tier three. You have him in tier four. Any major thoughts on Smith? Yeah, he, he's right on the edge for me there. He's one of those guys that I, I could have put in tier three easily. Um, it's just moving to a whole new team with some questionable receiving options there yep. that you know he had travis kelsey he had tyreek hill obviously like you were saying made a lot of something out of nothing a lot of the times where he'd get a short pass and then take it to the house right um jameson crowder if he's finally healthy could be very nice jordan reed if he's ever ever healthy could be you know really good obviously um i like paul richardson but he's a new wide receiver moving to a new team with a new quarterback i, I like alex smith I just don't know if I like him as much as the other guys in tier three. So he's on the edge, but for me, he's a four. Yeah, all fair considerations. Obviously, he had a major outlier last season. It was such an outlier, as I've mentioned before in the show. I've actually gotten questions from so many people, Denny Carter included, about how his historical projection is so high. Uh, so I am expecting regression. I do think it could take some time for him to assimilate into that offense as well as some of the other pieces that are there. But I think come week four, come week five, we start seeing more of the Alex Smith that we saw last season, maybe 75, 85% of that. But to me, that's still a wide receiver three. John Gruden's offensive offenses have allowed quarterbacks to do well. They've allowed positional players to do well. I think you bring in Smith there. He's going to be able to demonstrate that he's more than just a game manager. He's going to be able to demonstrate why he was one of the best passers last season going deep down the field, why he took more shots downfield than any other uh, quarterback last season. Now, Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson, both athletic. I think Richardson's a little bit faster. I think he's going to be able to take more of that field stretcher role and give them time. I think that can develop. So no, I'm not expecting him to be the Alex Smith of last season, but I do think that there's enough positive signs here that I slated him in tier three. I can understand on a historical basis, he's more of that uh, tier four type of wide receiver. So Let's move along. And I'm actually thinking as I look at the clock here that maybe we only have time for one more <laughs> position. So which position do you want to take? Running back, wide receiver, tight end? Uh, 
let me see here. Where do we have some big differences? Looks <laughs> uh, like we got some of our biggest ones in wide receiver here, right. maybe. So we're going to talk wide receivers right after I remind you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. The fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFPC has a format to suit your interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slow or live draft today. If you like Dynasty, the FFPC has almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. New dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Okay, let's look at these wide receivers. I am actually very excited about this. I love wide receivers. I'm looking forward to this. I want to see where you cut off your tier one. So we both have Brown, Hopkins, OBJ. I slated Michael Thomas into tier two. You have him in tier one. Uh, you also have Julio Jones in tier one. I have him in tier two. We both have Keenan Allen in tier one. How did you determine that you were going to make your cut off at Allen before we get into the likes of AJ Green, Mike Evans, Devontae Adams? And what caused you to include Thomas and Jones? Jones should be an easier to case to make than, than Thomas. Yeah, I mean, Jones, you know, if he had more touchdowns last year, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Right. And he actually had plenty of end zone targets and just didn't catch enough of them. Um, I don't think that Calvin Ridley is going to significantly cut into his targets or anything like that. I think those will come from elsewhere. Uh, so I, I think Jones is pretty easily still in the first tier. I, I can see where you might drop him to the second, but I think he deserves to be in there. Michael Thomas, he had a huge target share for the Saints last year that um, – if they had thrown the ball even a little bit more close to to what they had done in the past, you know, if they hadn't, if their defense hadn't been so strong, gotten a lot of turnovers, and and had them blowing out games, and they weren't running the ball quite as much, um, Michael Thomas was really dominating that target share among the wide receivers. So I think you could actually see even a few more targets next year if the Saints actually throw the ball more. So I think he deserves to be up there, that he's been very good, very efficient, still playing with Drew Brees, um, and he's got a buttload of targets coming his way again, most likely. So I, I just think he deserves to, to be right there. Um, I can get the argument if you don't think so, but um, I, I actually had him in Tier 2 earlier in the offseason. Yep. But the more I looked at him, the more I said, you know what, I, I think he deserves to be in there. So these are actually two guys that I've been going back and forth on, and I'm pretty sure are probably going to move into my Tier 1. Julio Jones... My reservations are, I kind of think that we may reach the point where the best Julio Jones is behind us, peaked in 2015, and is on his way down. I do find it interesting that 2014, 155 targets, 2015, 192, and 16, uh, only 120 because he played 13 games, but played a full season in 2017, only got to 137. I haven't worked out my projections, but I did 
I kind of feel like I might have trouble getting him into that 165, 170 range that he's going to need to have the potential to be the wide receiver one, which is why I was moving him out of tier one. But I have to say, this is one where I'm probably going to be on the fence all year up until we get in the middle of August when I make my final decision. Michael Thomas, the interesting thing here is he's one of these players that I think I will be absolutely thrilled if I get on my team, but... When, and there's another one, I look at the target share and I think that it's going to be hard given how the Saints have operated. And last year we saw the team moving a lot of targets other places, a lot of a much higher percentage of passes went to the running backs last season and they also threw fewer passes than we have seen historically. I think that trend might carry, especially with the defense playing so well now. So though I love Thomas, it really comes down to the volume. And I just don't think he has the volume to finish as uh, the wide receiver one. And I don't know if he's the type of player that can make up for it by putting up 10 or 12 touchdowns, what have you. So that's ultimately why I slated him into tier two. Uh, if we move along, uh, so we both have Keenan Allen, which I think is impressive, um, in tier one. He averages a tier of 1.3. So it looks like there's probably only one or two guys that put him outside of there. Both have, I, I might have yep. had to think about him a little more before the Hunter Henry injury as far as, right. um, you know, just saying, Hey, can he repeat that target share? Uh, but af- after that injury, it kind of, you know, Virgil Green is not taking over those targets. Uh, whatever t- other tight end they're going to bring in yeah. isn't taking over all those targets. That really the question with Keenan Allen is health. As long as he stays healthy and, uh, yeah, he's been injured off and on, but, you know, some of those injuries were, were fluky and unrelated. So, um, as long as he stays healthy, I think he's just going to, you know, have a monster target share again, end up with 160 plus targets or somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, with that kind of volume, it's it's hard not to, to put him there. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to AJ Green. And though we both agreed, let's just talk about AJ Green for a minute, because it does look like the prevailing opinion at Rotoviz is that AJ Green is a tier two player. But it's interesting uh, to now consider Green as a tier two type of wide receiver. And I wanted to make the argument for him that we should be able to expect a boatload of targets. But when you go back and you look, he's only averaging 126 since 2013. If you do look at the rest of the offense, though, you know, there's really not a lot of guys that are going to be taking these targets. I think the Bengals offense will be a little bit better than it was last year. But as much as I love Green, I just can't get him into tier one. Yeah, I mean, that offense almost has to be better. I mean, I think their their pace was something like, you know, the worst in the past six years or, you know, second worst in the past six years as far as the number of plays they ran. So it's going to have to come up. I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, that they ran so few plays and he still got 143 targets, then it doesn't take much to say if they can even turn it around a little bit. Um his, his targets should go way up. His catch rate was also way down last year, down to 52.4%, which is the lowest of his career so far, mm. um, even when he was a rookie. So I don't know if that's a factor of uh, you know just, just how bad the offense was overall, that his t- targets weren't as good of quality. If uh, Dalton was struggling more than usual, 
the thing that concerns me is that you know what's what's really changed there um they did shore up the offensive line which was you know a big culprit of their their failures last year but even with the short up offensive line uh, you know i think like i said they're bound to improve but the question is how much and you know as you said with some of these other guys with julio you're worried about you know hey his his best days might be behind him right could also be the same for green now you know his yards per reception are right around where they should be but um you know, he could be could be ready to take a little step back there. So I think he's close of the tier two guys. I'd be drafting him the earliest, but I don't think he, for me, um, moves up into the tier one there. I, you know, if they had a new coaching staff, if they got rid of Marvin Lewis finally, <laughs> maybe he'd be there. But but for now, it's like, hey, I, I just don't know if they're going to improve enough that I could put him in tier one with those other guys. But, but he's close. I, I call him top of tier two there. Yeah, I mean, I guess the most compelling arguments that you could make for him would be he did rank fourth in air yards and third in Whopper last year. So uh it does speak to the fact that he is going to be, by and large, the guy in that offense. That's going to continue in this year. So there's some opportunity for him there. Now, T.Y. Hilton, I put him in tier three. You put him in tier two. I guess the key question here is how much of you placing him in tier two is dependent upon your opinion that Andrew Luck is going to be back and in full form right off the bat. I've I've moved him back and forth. I think Luck is going to be back. I'm not sure he's going to be in full form, but I think Hilton's pretty good, and I think that um, Luck – playing even if he's not 100% is going to be so much better than Jacoby Brissett that they had last year that um, the team's going to be losing a lot they're going to need to throw it a lot and there's just going to be more targets uh, more for Hilton to to do some work with um, but yeah you know I, I had him in tier three earlier in the offseason I moved him up so I, I think I think he's kind of close there it's, it's tough to say yeah, I, I think ultimately why I ended up with him in tier three was for me, even with luck around, he's not a tier one. There's no question about that. Tier two, yes, he slates in there. I think that there are some things that you could kind of look at that would maybe put him into tier three. So given the concerns with luck, uh, that is why I had to move him, who move him back to tier three. One that I'm a little bit more interested in actually is Brandon Cooks. A lot of people like Cooks. I think as far as the guys at Rotoviz, I might be one of the lowest on him. I have him in tier four. You have him in tier three. So does that mean that you expect him to come into the Rams offense and really establish him, establish himself as the main option in the passing game? No, I'm actually really low on Cooks too. I okay. think this is a function of us. My tier two extends a little bit more than your tier two. Yep. So I'm not bunching him in with quite the same guys you are there um, as far as tier three and tier four go. Um, I- I'm kind of low on Cooks myself. I think, you know, he keeps like falling headlong into these like great situations. Right. So that you know, I actually had traded him away in Dynasty before he got traded to the Rams. That my my way of looking at him was like, hey, he was with Drew Brees and the Saints, and he was amazing. And then he gets to go to the Patriots, and he, he was very good, but he wasn't he wasn't great. You right. know, for the for the fact that uh, you know, with Edelman being out all year, you know, he really had an opportunity to do a lot more. And um, you know, th- there's some passes Brady missed him on where he was open. Um, you know, some some of that could be on him, but he's literally gone from like two of the most you know, to two of the most high powered offenses, you know, through the first years of his career. And I was like, hey, you know, he could end up easily end up the second fiddle on some, you know, crappy offense somewhere or some middle of the road offense. And then he gets traded to the Rams, which were like the second most high powered offense last year or whatever the heck right. they were. Top top three at least. Um 
So, so uh, you know, I think that's good for him overall. He'll definitely have more targets than Sammy Watkins had there last year. Um, but I, I, I think that uh, I could see, you know, de- I guess it depends where you want to draw your tiers between three and four. I think he's still probably a tier three guy for me. Um, not quite down in the tier four with some of those guys, but I, I think you and I, I think I have a bigger tier two, right? Uh, whereas you, you kind of cut off a little sooner on those tiers, so yeah. I think that might be where our difference is. Yeah, I think that's all true. So to give some perspective of why I am down on Cooks, the biggest reason to me is Cooks is not going to be a top twenty receiver in 2018. I just don't see it happening. There's a couple of main reasons. One is everybody knows that the Rams were supremely efficient last season. That is not going to carry forward to 2018. That offense is going to regress some. If they don't, that is a major historical outlier. You look at a guy like Cooks, his targets, 102 targets he's averaged since 2014. If you want to take away his rookie season, he's still only seeing 112 targets a game. He's efficient. Yes, in points per target, he's averaged two. If you do a histogram, that puts him closer to the 65th, maybe 70th percentile, but it's not like he's the type of player that is going to take 110 targets or so and guarantee you a top 10 season. I just don't see that coming. There's also Cooper Cup. There is Robert Woods. Both were heavily utilized last season. Both functioned well in that offense. The offense supported three wide receivers. It worked well. I think that Cooks, yes, he's going to go ahead of Watkins and targets. Watson was closer to 70, I believe, last year. Cooks probably is going to get to around 120, maybe even 125, but I just don't think that's enough. We don't see the track record for Cooks to for us to view him as a true wide receiver one. He's not a true wide receiver one in the way that he plays the game, and as a result of that, he's not going to have the opportunity for it to translate. I know a lot of people are really high on Cooks, but to me, you have Todd Gurley in that backfield, those other players that I mentioned, I just don't see how that slots into if you're actually doing the math and allocating things across this team, unless you anticipate him being extremely, extremely efficient because he's not a guy that's going to get you 10 or 12 touchdowns. He's probably going to be closer to that seven or eight total if he's lucky. I just don't see it. Yeah, I, like I said, I w- I'm with you. I'm down on him, um, and I think it just comes down to, to where we want to cut off our tiers here. That Yep. Uh, I, I think he is lucky he ended up with the Rams as opposed to somewhere else. But uh, and and I think he will be decently productive this year. But uh, again, he's not somebody I'm targeting too hard. I've got a few shares in Best Ball, but I'm not I'm not going hard on him. That I'll, I'd rather have a guy uh, who plays a similar role but is a lot cheaper, like Kenny Stills, several rounds later. Right. Um, that all makes sense. Now I'm noticing as I look through this, I, for some reason that make, that makes absolutely no sense. I have Doug Baldwin in tier three. That's <laughs> going to have that. to be, that's going to have to be updated. I've definitely changed my stance on there. Uh, you know, the, the tricky thing is I've had so many things going on that updating my tiers and getting like my final set done has had to fall a little bit by the wayside, which is why it's good that we have everybody else balancing me out because you probably don't want to be one of the lowest guys on the site on your favorite player for the season. So. Guy that I am not high on, Jordy Nelson. I actually had him slated in tier six. Maybe I'll move him up to tier five. Some of this could be a function of us breaking them differently, but you have him in your tier four that at least signals that you think he still has some left in the tank and that you do think the Oakland offense can support him as a fantasy relevant player. Uh, I mean, I really don't know what to expect out of that Oakland offense, but um, 
I think I might have moved him up a little bit from tier five after all this uh, suspicions about Martavis came out. I mean, first you heard, oh, he's going to get suspended. Then you heard, oh, no, that's not what it's about. But there's still some rumblings that something could be going on. I mean, if I'm looking at it this way, that uh, if anything happens to Martavis Bryant, which is a distinct possibility, you know, even if he's not getting suspended, you know, maybe he just comes and he just does not fit with the team um, or he pisses off John Gruden or something like that. Uh, Jordy Nelson should be in for a decent amount of targets that with the volume that I think he'll probably get because, um, I, I don't see them throwing to their running backs a ton mm-hmm. that the running backs they have on that team are not guys that you know, you're going to funnel like 70, 80 targets to, uh, Gruden, I think hasn't historically thrown to his tight ends. I, I could be wrong about that. I, th- I think he hasn't though, where he's not been huge on that. So, I mean, you got Jared cook there who could get a decent amount of targets. Obviously I think Amari Cooper is going to get plenty of targets, but I just think that Jordy is going to be at the point where he's going to get a decent amount of targets. And if you believe some people say, Hey, Amari Cooper has not scored a lot of touchdowns. He hasn't been good in the end zone. Whereas Jordy, you know, he's been money his career in the end zone. So uh, I think you can make the argument that at the very least, he's got a pretty decent floor there with, with the upside for a little bit more, especially if anything happens to Martavis. Yeah, you know, I, I think that he there's something in my gut which normally I don't like to go on that's telling me that Nelson is not a good play this year. It might be that he's one of those guys you want to get out on before he evaporates. You don't want to be late on it. However, though, you make a lot of compelling points there. Um, and also, I do think with the kind of nebulous situation with Bryant, seems like he's probably at least going to miss some time, could miss the whole season. A lot of question marks there. I do need to move him up into tier five. And I think a big reason for that is we all know that Nelson historically has been excellent in the red zone. Uh, 12, and he's just an excellent touchdown score in the last five seasons. It's only taken him 12 targets to find the end zone on average. Um, averages seven red zone touchdowns a season. Now it helps when you're playing with Aaron Rodgers, but we also saw Michael Crabtree, as you mentioned, excel in the red zone. Uh, and he actually averaged three red zone touchdowns per season. And he was closer to 20 targets per touchdown. That doesn't really jump off the page like Nelson does, but it speaks to that maybe Nelson can get in. And even if he has lost some of his ability, maybe do what Crabtree did. And Crabtree was a very good option when they were there. Having said that, though, I don't think you're going to see Nelson accrue the same yardage. But at the end of the day, uh, that's still enough to put him into tier five. So let's look at two other guys that we disagree on as we're approaching the hour. Uh, so let's see who else do we have. Looks like you're really digging Cooper. I have Amari Cooper in tier four. Maybe I need to reconsider that. Give me the case for Cooper. Uh, probably has to do with targets. Uh, yeah, it has to do with that. And he was very efficient his first two seasons. I mean, uh, if you look at what he did at his young age in his first two seasons, um, uh, there, there's a very short list of guys uh, who did what he did in his age 21 and 22 seasons, put up the stats he put up. And then last year, obviously, he was bad. Um, right. But news came out after the season that he was playing on one leg, that he was really hurt and he was injured. And, uh, you know, that whole offense just struggled, you know, from top to bottom. I mean, there was really nothing going right for them last year. So I'm kind of, you know, similar to what I'm doing with Mariota where I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm throwing away last year that that the whole offense was dysfunctional. Um, we saw their first two seasons at very young ages be really good. 
Um, and I, I just expect that, you know, th- there'll be progression there of like, Hey, he can still be really good despite, despite struggling last year that, you know, maybe it was injury, injury related. He's still really, really super young. Um, you know, I, I, I think the one wild card here is I have no idea what that offense is going to look like that, uh, John Gruden, you know, he's kind of like, uh, you know, defrosted caveman head coach of like, he's been out of the league so long that you, you bring him back here and like, you know, he's, he's been making a lot of these little quips about analytics and, you know, making little jokes about him, you know, 99% sure most of them are jokes, but you know, you do wonder after hearing him talk and kind of bumble through some stuff here, um, does he <laughs> still have it? You know, you know he yeah. says some stuff where you're like, like, I can't tell, is he serious or does he really mean that? And then it's like, can he really come in as a head coach and like, like, you know, coach in today's NFL and like, like adapt to where it's at. Cause if he tries to tries to run an offense like he did back in the day, it, it's just not going to happen. You know, he's bringing in all these geriatric guys and, you know, everybody's making fun of him for that. And, you know, maybe he's crazy like a Fox though, you know? So uh, I think that's a wild card there. We really don't know what that offense is going to look like. Uh, you know, I don't think you can look back at what he did years, you know, over a decade ago and say, Oh, well, that's what he's going to do now. Um, so uh, who the heck knows? But I think Amari Cooper's a talented player. He's still young. He's you know has been historically good in his first two seasons. Um, I'm willing to take a shot on him there at the bottom of tier two to say, hey, you know he he could really pay dividends because a lot of times too, you know some of these guys, AJ Green, you know he's tier two, but uh, you see him frequently go in the second round of drafts. Right. Whereas Amari Cooper's slipping into the fourth a lot of the time. Um, and at that point, I th- I think he's got the upside to be one of those tier two guys. I have determined that I need to move Amari Cooper up to tier three. So that is a change that I'm going to make. Um, you covered a lot of good points for him there. 24 did have very excellent, uh, rookie season. Great as a sophomore last year, the whole offense slumped. Interestingly enough, 32% of his fantasy points last season came against Kansas City. But I think this is one of those cases where you do have to take last season with a grain of salt. I also am of the opinion I have no idea what to expect. I'm not sure that Gruden is crazy like a fox. And I just get this funny (laughs) thought, though. So there was a commercial that used to run. I forget for where it was. It might have been like ESPN doing it or something. There was some contest where you played against John Gruden in fantasy. And it was like, do you think Uh, that you can beat me? I think I remember that. And I was like, yes, I resoundingly think I could beat you at fantasy (laughs) football. A couple of reasons, because Gruden would probably just draft like five quarterbacks to start the draft. I don't see him taking into account more than just who the players are and developing a strategy. And that's kind of what I'm expecting Gruden to do as a head coach, re-entering the league. He's kind of become a character of himself at this point. Uh, but who knows? I guess we all could be very wrong. At the end of the day, though, I do think I need to move Cooper up into tier three. I can't get him into tier two, though, um, for the lack of the touchdown scoring ability in the red zone and uh, all of the questions that, that, that surround him. Although I do think there's a lot of validity to that last year. He also uh, was suffering from injury and that really plagued his season. So let's hit one more pairing that we have different or not pairing. Uh, one more player that we're in disagreement on. I'm going to look for a good one. I think I found it. Allen Robinson, you have him in tier two. I have him in tier four. So even if some of this is a function of us breaking our tiers at different points, uh, 
clearly you're higher on Robinson than I am. My main reason for being low on Robinson is this. Yes, I understand that the offense is going to look different. I do think though that people have kind of run away with this idea that the Bears are the 2018 version of the 2017 Rams. And I don't think that that is a safe assumption to make. Uh, so we keep that in mind. You also have a player returning that missed all of last season. I just think that people are going to be overdrafting Robinson. You could maybe make the case to move him up a tier, but this idea that he's just going to step into this plum situation with this offense that's going to function so well and that Mitchell Trubisky is all of a sudden going to become this very good passer that can support a tier two type of wide receiver. I just think that there's a lot of ifs there and I have trouble getting behind it. So just so you know, I, I totally agree with you and I'm actually planning on dropping him down okay. to tier three. Yep. That as I was looking at this, I was like, you know, I, I can't really justify him there just because the uncertainty, like you said, I, I'm also on the bandwagon of, I was, uh, you know, going into the off season, I was optimistic about um, the Bears offense improving. In fact, you know, I stashed Trubisky in a bunch of uh, dynasty leagues at the end of last year, you know, shallower leagues where he wasn't owned um that you know people had dropped him throughout the season i said hey i you know i think he can take a step forward and be a, right. a quarterback worthwhile owning but i think the hype's gotten a little bit out of control i mean you look at like the adps for you know th- that whole offense you know alan robinson's pretty high then you got trey burton is just shooting up the t draft boards yep um howard's going high and Tariq cohen's also going pretty high i think that the hype train's gotten out of control i, I like them to improve but like you know, the, the improvement the Rams had was insane. There's there's no way they're gonna right. you know go from being you know one of the the worst uh, offensive teams in the league to one of the best. It's you know that that just doesn't happen. You know the the Rams that that was an outlier. So I expect some improvement, but I, I think it could be getting a bit carried away. I, I kind of agree. I'm, I'm probably gonna drop him down to tier three. I don't think I can put him down to tier four just because I do expect him to get a lot of targets. And I think he is a talented player. Um, but I, I think that, you know, uh, tier two is definitely too high for him. And I'll, I'll bring him down there. Uh, if we have time for one more, yeah, let's there's do it. another guy we're, we're two tiers apart on. Do you see him down there at the bottom? Devontae Parker. Yep. Yep. And I, I, he's a guy that I have in past years have not liked, you know, didn't, didn't really love him as a prospect. Um, but I'm starting to come around on him and I, I recently bumped him up because, just looking at that situation there, um, as far as all the targets that are up for grabs, I just feel like even if he can just play okay, if even if he can just play decent there, that he's got a legit shot for 140 targets, you know, minimum. That um, uh, with Jarvis with Jarvis Landry on the team last year, okay, Parker was hurt and missed. I want to say three games, maybe three games, and, and missed most of another one. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the one he got hurt, he only had like, you know, one, one target or something like that in that game. So, you know, essentially he played like 12 games and he was on pace for about 128 targets, um, with Landry on the team. Yeah. So he played in 13 games, but, but only 12 of those games did he really actually like play the full game. Um, so he was on pace for 128 targets and that's with Landry getting 161 targets there. Um, you know, I was on Kenny Stills earlier in the offseason. I still am and I like him, but I think Devontae Parker's gotten to the point where he's cheap enough that you say, Hey, you know, if this guy's going to be getting, you know, if you say, Hey, if he stays healthy for the whole season, which, which he basically did, you know, the season before, um, you know, he's played 15 games in his first two years and yeah, he's been banged up and a little injured here and there, but, uh, he hasn't been that inefficient 
you know, in 2016, he had a 64.4% catch rate, um, scored four touchdowns on just 87 targets, put up 744 yards. I mean, he was actually pretty good. The only problem was the Dolphins didn't throw the ball in 2016, that they were tied for, you know, virtual tie for last, I think with the Bills or somebody for like the fewest pass attempts in the league. Um, because they had that fluky 10 six season where they had a negative point differential, but they were just winning a lot of games. So they just were grinding out with the running game. Uh, whereas last year they were in a virtual tie, you know, they were almost first in the league in pass attempts. And I think we're going to see something closer to that again this year, that their defense still isn't great. And, you know, I think they'll be losing some games, have to throw a lot. And th- there's no reason that Parker can't, you know, get up to like 140 targets. And at that point, uh, you know, I don't really care, you know, unless he's absolutely just got awful, um, you know, I think he belongs in tier four at the very least, just cause you know, the, you know, if, if he actually ends up being, you know, semi good, you know, he, he could, you know, really explode out of there. But even if he's just mediocre with that number of targets, you know, he, he deserves to be in that tier. For me, I, I'm decided as we're talking about this, I think I probably need to move him up into my tier five. The things that do give me pause with a player like Parker, there's a couple of things. I think that he's had his opportunity. He hasn't made it work, uh, or hasn't really emerged, which I suppose you could still get yourself into tier four without a big breakout. Uh, but he's only gone over 10 plus points in 43% of his games in the league. And more importantly for me, I'm probably going to be projecting a smaller workload. There's a couple of reasons for this. I think that Kenny Stills is very good and I expect Kenny Stills to become the main option in the passing game. And I also think as we're talking about this, I'm looking at the team's other receivers. They bring in Albert Wilson. The first thing that stood out to me about Albert Wilson was out of his uh, 50, I think it was 59 targets last season, 49 of those came from below 10 yards. He also ranked first in yards after reception with 7.6. Who does that sound a lot like Jarvis Landry. So I think that Wilson is probably going to pick up a decent amount of the looks that went towards Landry. And keeping in mind that I also view Kenny Stills as the better option. I just don't see it for Parker. I can understand your viewpoint there, but for me, it really comes down to, we haven't seen it develop yet. There's going to be other things that they can do. And I also think that this is the type of offense that is not really going to support a lot of production at the wide receiver position. Um, now that Jarvis Landry is gone, I think he was the type of guy that was able to transcend that situation. I don't see it being Parker. I could be wrong, but there's enough pessimism that despite, uh, my historical projection model actually favorably projecting Parker, uh, for next season, I had to go against it just because I don't think that there's enough evidence for me to, to move him up into that tier four range. And if you look at his overall body of work, he hasn't even sniffed that range so far, but that is going to take through all the players that we have time for. Uh, unfortunately, we won't get to running back and tight end, but on the show, we'll probably discuss that. Uh, maybe Matt and I will, if he bails on us again, maybe we can get you, get you back on, John. It was <laughs> for, uh, awesome. for round two. Yes. It was good talking to you, man. I, I, I enjoyed this. Any closing thoughts before we let the fine people go? No, just, um, you know, I think what I was saying at the top of the show here about practicing that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, at this point of the season, um, a lot of best ball leagues out there. You can get them. I think it's as cheap as $1 on play draft, you know, MFL tens are just 10 bucks. 
you can get in there playing for real money where people are actually trying to win and you get some practice drafting. So then if you have some, you know, more important leagues towards the, um, uh, towards the start of the season where whether it's a home league, a work league, a high stakes league, or just the league you really care about. You know, when you get into those fast drafts and you got a 90 second clock and you got to make these decisions, if you've been making these decisions all off season and really, um, looking at these players and, and saying, Hey, this is, the, this is my guy. This is who I want to take here. It's going to make it that much easier and you're going to be that much more confident as you're doing it. So just, just a little tip for everybody out there who's listened to this. If you haven't really done that before, um, you know, go, go do some best ball leagues, take some time to time to do it. And, you know, it's, it's slightly different in the way you approach it, but it really helps you crystallize your thoughts on the players. Absolutely. And you can also check out the draft dashboard at Rotoviz, which will allow you to do mock drafts quickly in a whole different variety of settings. You can have the computer, uh, uh, you can set the tendencies even for the teams that you're drafting against. And actually, I'm not sure if we have time, but John and I might be recording a quick little uh, tutorial video where we do a mock together right after we get off the pod. So thanks again for coming on. John, that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was John Lipinski, who you can find at FF Skiball. Is that correct? Yep, FF underscore ski ball. You got it. Oh, killing it. Uh, you can find all of his work up on Rotoviz. Highly recommend you go and check that out. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and tell us your bold predictions and have a chance to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.